Good morning. Um, we we actually don't resume our discern series uh, week five until this Sunday. Uh, we have four more weeks of the discern series. So next Monday we'll actually be doing week five in our workbook. Um, I'm looking forward to that. The the second half after Easter is really very powerful for how to how to really uh, structure your life to live by discernment. So I thought this week I might add a little extra um, research and time uh, spent looking at, at the discernment of Jesus and how he practiced uh, discernment, spiritual sightedness in every aspect of his life. So Lisa and I did some research on Holy Week and just looking at the way that Jesus was so discerning in every step that he took. Now, one thing that's really interesting about Holy Week is that the gospel writers devote a major portion of their writing to that one week. Uh, two of the gospel writers spend a third of the entire their entire writing just on Holy Week. Uh, John spends half of his writing on that last week. And uh, I think as Luke spends a quarter of his of his uh, writing on on uh, Holy Week. So it averages out to about a third of the entire Gospels is focused on what Jesus did and said during that last week. So what we try to do is, is to bring ourselves more effectively in this journey from spiritual blindness, which is a major theme of the Gospels, to spiritual sightedness. And the two key principles that uh, need to be a takeaway if you're going to be a spiritually discerning person are the the principles of indifference and wisdom and to have a firm grasp on what those two things mean and to be moving towards both of those so that your capacity for discernment is full. You're able to, to really receive well Uh, from the Father, just like Jesus did. So indifference is this. You're indifferent to anything but the will of the Father. So this is Jesus every day of his life, but we we particularly see the intensity of his indifference to everything else, his safety, uh, what people think about him. His only focus is the will of the Father. He's indifferent to everything else. The will of God, nothing else, nothing less, was what Jesus was about. And see, because of that, it gave him great capacity for wisdom. And this is, this is what's so important for us to, to recognize, is that if you become truly honed in on the will of the Father for you, which is making you indifferent to everything else, then you begin to have a capacity for wisdom that surpasses your human understanding, surpasses your um, education, your past, your background. 
So one way to define wisdom is it's competence in regards to how life really works and it's navigating life well. So Jesus is having to navigate being the savior of the world. That's a, <laughs> that's a pretty big destiny to navigate. So his indifference to anything but the Father's will, it, it, it really keys him in so that he, his mind is sharp. He's able to notice everything. This is, this is that kind of competence when it comes to wisdom. But Jesus, we see this wisdom in him during Holy Week. He's, he's able to notice everything that's pertinent to any situation so that he's not distracted by things that will not bring out the result that he wants. See, we're going to talk about this week how actually trying to live a discerning life will put you in the path of opposition. So Jesus' indifference to anything but the Father's will put him in a place where he was able to observe so well. And we'll see it in some of his conversations. He was able to, to observe so well that he knew exactly what the agenda of the opposition was, and he knew exactly how to escape their traps. You know, what, what we see with Jesus in terms of the wisdom is he has a, his heart is at rest. He doesn't have to prove himself. He doesn't have to demonstrate his worth. He just has to do the Father's will. And so, you see, what happens when your heart is at rest, and this is where real wisdom comes from, is the Holy Spirit is stirring inside, and if your heart is at rest, you begin to experience those stirrings. You don't have to question constantly if you're indifferent to anything but the will of God. You don't have to question, is this, is this desire from God? Because you, if you're indifferent to anything but the will of God, you know the desires stirring in your heart are from God. Is, is God calling you to something? Yes, of course he's calling you. But if your heart is not at rest and your heart is you know, still being pulled by you know, people-pleasing, being pulled by your own selfish agendas, then it's hard to know what God is calling you to. So, I mean, this is the interesting thing, is that spiritual wisdom comes from inner clues, inner promptings, inner work of the Holy Spirit. And this is the way Jesus walked. He, he moved as his Father led him. He moved as the Spirit empowered him. Jesus lived his life on earth as a fully human, equipped by the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And that's what he said. We, he sent his Spirit to do that in our lives as well. Romans 8, 16 says it so clearly. It says, the will of God is only manifest deep within you. Deep cries to deep. That's where his Spirit dwells. And that's where the inner testimony of the Spirit will lead you, empower you, and, and his direction being the will of the Father, because he, he, this is the, the cool intersection of the Holy Spirit. He plums the depths of your heart to know what your deepest longings are. And he makes those known to the depths of the Father's heart. So that within you is this, is this incredible intersection of the heart of the Father and your heart met in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
But what is he doing? Well, he's, he's really bringing the life of Christ into your life. So, you know, we go back to the beginning of Holy Week. And Jesus, his entrance into Jerusalem, and his beginning of the week, um, the only way that's, that's good to describe it is to say that he, he is operating in, in the gifting and he's operating in his office, you might call it, of prophet. Jesus is the word of God incarnate. He has come prophetically to speak God's will, God's heart, God's salvation through his words and his actions. So he begins at the very beginning with prophetic actions. Now, when he comes in, everything he is, is is coming with him. And, you know, if you know the end of the story, you know that Jesus functions uh, in three levels at once. He is the king. And so when he comes in, to Jerusalem, he is coming in as the rightful king. But he's also the priest. He's the great high priest. He will be both the one who offers the sacrifice and he will be the sacrifice. But in the beginning, you see, as, as this is beginning, this is him functioning as the prophet. So he's prophet, priest, and king. And this is his, this is his prophetic function as he comes in. And, and he's bringing all of himself in with his prophetic actions. So why, do I, why is that important? Because, I mean, some people at times want to limit the prophetic only to that first century, only to Jesus' day. But I, I think there's too narrow a view of the prophetic. I think there's a simpler but gives a much, you know, much broader use of the prophetic. In other words, it's as simple as this. God gives a word or God commissions an action. And by receiving that word, by receiving the call to that action, normally what's happening is God has given a word for a group of people or an individual for a set time, set place. Or he's called for an action, and it's for a set time, group of people, place. But what you're doing is you're not doing it on your own behalf, and you're not doing it in some way to force God to do something. You're doing it because he asked you to. And by doing that, by, by speaking the word that he gives you, even if it's a simple word, there, there have been times when um, you know, I'm, I'm eating at a restaurant, and the Lord will just burden me for the, the waiter or the waitress. And I'll ask a question like, you know, may I pray for you? Is there something heavy on your heart or something like that? And I've often, particularly with waitresses, they'll just start crying. And it won't be because, you know, I was insightful or I, I just wanted to eat, you know. But I was just so, I had a heaviness. I had a, an inner stirring that said, okay, the spirit wants to communicate something to this person. Here's a very random person, a very simple action of just concern for their life, and they begin to weep. Now, 
as we do things under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit, power from God is released. Our action is not the cause of the power, but it's the means through which the power can come because the power comes with the presence and the words of God. Now, the Bible records many prophetic acts, and there's really no set pattern. So you can't say, okay, this is the way, this is the only way God works. The Holy Spirit doesn't get in a rut. He never grows stale in his prophetic capacity. This is why we, we can't just repeat something we did before without inquiring of the Lord first. But if we're open, like Jesus was in Holy Week, if we're open to the Spirit, simple actions and simple words can be the means through which power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit can be released. And it usually, friends, New Testament prophetic action, Scripture says is for edification, it's for building up, it's for encouragement. So the people who just always want to drop kind of bombs on everybody and just are abrasive are probably not operating in New Testament prophetic. They still think of themselves as, you know, Jeremiah calling out an evil people or Isaiah having to call out those who have turned away from God. Uh, That's an Old Testament picture of the prophetic. And generally speaking, in the Old Testament, most of the prophetic that we know of was, was, that's kept for us, is primarily inspired scripture. So it, it isn't an everyday kind of prophetic. It was an, a for all time special revelation of God. I'm just talking about more walking sensitively to the fact that God has words for you to say, and then he will cause those words to bring his presence and power. And he has actions for you to do. They may be very simple actions, but by doing them, you open up a way, you become a mediator in a sense for God's power and his presence to bring healing to your family and to your community. Now, what I mean by this then is really going to be clear is that an action can only be prophetic then if it's accompanied by spiritual discernment. Jesus said he did nothing of his own initiative, that he only did what he saw the Father doing. So your words and your actions are not the cause of the breakthrough. So though it's a joy to speak for God, or it's a joy to act under God's authority and in God's power, the glory always goes to God. Because the same words without, without that submission and without being under authority, those same words will have no effect. There are, there are many sermons recorded that began or were the beginnings of awakenings. They were the beginnings of revivals. And while those sermons are powerful and uh, often, and I've read many, many of them, I used to teach a class on revivals, so... I would read all of these different messages or actions that brought about uh, a breakthrough, you know, an awakening in in a whole culture. But you see, if you just take that sermon and you read it, 
to the people, they might go, wow, that's really great. And that, man, isn't it exciting that that started a move of God? But it won't be those words because the words themselves, though skillful, wonderful, biblical words, are not the cause. They're the means. And it seems to me that for the most part, God is doing a new thing in an old way or an old thing in a new way. And it has to have that fresh anointing to it. Now, most of most of the revivals are finding some truth that was maybe forgotten or lost. That's why two or three, both the Reformation and the Great Awakening, both Luther's transformation and John Wesley's transformation both came from the book of Romans. They were both reading and studying the book of Romans when it hit them that it, was, it wasn't a question of trying to be righteous. It was a question of receiving the righteousness of Christ in order to have right standing with God. And that, that truth, which is always in the scripture, had been obscured by religion. And these two men, in their desperation, found that truth transformed Europe, England, and the United, you know, the colonies at that time, and throughout the, what's now the United States. So, what we find is, we must, we must, always be spiritually sighted in order to see what God wants for us. We we must be indifferent to anything but the will of God. Jesus himself, again, he said, I do nothing of my own initiative. So as he enters Jerusalem, he's not, he's not forcing the hand of the Father. He's following the leading of the Father, and he's being empowered and anointed and under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So in those first 24 hours or so, he, he does three prophetic acts, all significant. And the first we spent a lot of time on during, uh, during Holy Week, but just to remind you again, the first action is the triumphal entry. Um, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, again, his indifference to anything but the Father's will, his own disciples were afraid to come in Jerusalem. Uh, sarcastically, one said, well, let's, let's just go and die with them. And, and he had set his face. It says, set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He was indifferent to anything but the Father's will. And then we have this, you know, we have this unusual story. Again, showing that this is beyond human experience. He knows the scripture. He knows prophetically he's not to walk in Jerus- into Jerusalem. He's not to ride a horse. He's to ride a baby donkey or a young donkey that's never been ridden before. And so we have sort of two miracles in this, in this story that, again, because he's moving in the power of the Spirit and because he's operating in the authority of his Father, he can say to his disciples, just go tell this person that your master has need of this colt, of this young donkey. And, and everything works exactly as Jesus said it would. The disciples go, they, they say, you know, the Lord has need. 
and the man gives them the donkey. You know, secondly, this is a donkey, this always amazes me, this is a donkey that's never been ridden before. I'm not even sure donkeys are that great or easy to ride when you have them broken in, but to think about going through crowds, people shouting, people screaming, and here's this donkey, never ridden before, but he's being ridden by the master of the universe, by the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he submits to the authority of Jesus. So we have this, we have this, and this is my, this is my key point for today, is learning to live under authority means you get to live with authority. I mean, those disciples, they could steal the, the donkey, but they didn't. They said, the Lord has need. They spoke with authority. The power of God moved the man to let them use the donkey. The same is true of the donkey itself. The very king of the donkey is riding, and so this unbroken donkey submits to the authority of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It's a powerful image. Uh, it's one that many Christians, to me, they avoid, especially in their prayer life, and they avoid uh, understanding the authority that we can have in prayer. Jesus is operating under authority, being led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that anointed and empowered Jesus is the Spirit which he has given you. And everything that he did for Jesus and everything that he accomplished uh, for Jesus and through Jesus is now residing in you and is now connected to you. This is why, for me, uh, it's not simply that, oh, they're just some prophets in the church. No, the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. God is calling you to listen to those inner stirrings, to get at that place of peace and rest in your own heart, and to begin to operate out of uh, a settled trust, that if God is asking me to do something, I'm just the means, I'm not the cause. This makes you know, all the difference in the world that whatever he asks you to do, you leave the results up to him. But you be faithful. And at the same time, because you're being faithful to what he's asked you to do, you will be fruitful. Some of the fruit is quick. Some of the fruit takes time. If he asks you to say something, even if you don't exactly know what the end result's going to be, but you, you know in your heart, you've learned to listen to those inner stirrings, and you're living under authority, then you're able to speak with authority. It doesn't mean that every time you speak or every time you act, you're going to see revival break out or you're going to see a great awakening come. But it does mean that you have released and you've been a mediator of the release of the very presence and power of God. If all you ever do is speak your own words, then the only power that you have is your own personal power. And that sometimes can be very dangerous. This is why these two things go together. They go together in the life of Jesus. They need to go together in the life of believers. That we operate under authority, which then gives us authority.
I mean, those two disciples, I, I have no idea. I would think that they were like, what's going to happen when we just go take this donkey? But the Lord had already said to them, go and do this and tell them that the Lord has need. And that was all the words they had to have. And the donkey came with them. And then this unbroken donkey rode as if it had been trained, as if it had been you know, ridden many times in crowds because he was being led by the king. Jesus operating under authority. It's one of the, one of the interesting aspects of, of this prophetic word. You see, Jesus, yes, is being moved by, inwardly by the Spirit. But he's being informed by the scriptures. Listen to Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. These two things go together. The inner promptings of the Holy Spirit will never contradict the teachings of the Word. And at the same time, the teaching of the Word will not be fully illuminated to you, will not be fully, you know, you'll not be able to fully apply it to your life until you're illuminated by the Holy Spirit. It's a both and. So here's Jesus being moved by the Spirit because the timing of the entrance, you know, and the place, and the donkey, and all of this, they all went together. He was being moved by the Spirit to do it at just the right time with just the right people. And at the same time, he was fulfilling what had been written by Zechariah hundreds of years before. This is the will of the Father, and he's indifferent to anything but it. And at the same time, because he's indifferent to anything but the will of the Father, he can operate in such wisdom. And that wisdom included being able to operate with authority. If you want, you can begin to see a greater and greater expression of the presence of God and the power of God. Come under his authority, both his word and spirit, Begin to move with him, indifferent to anything but his will. And you will find yourself praying prayers. You will find yourself speaking words, doing things that bring the very power and presence of God into your life and into your family's life. Would you move towards that? Would you pray this prayer with me? It's a very simple prayer. Lord, I, I want to be indifferent to anything. That is to anything that's not your will, just indifferent, not drawn by it, not giving in to the appeal of it, but discerning the will of God, the good, perfect, acceptable will of God. I, I want capacity for this kind of wisdom like Jesus portrayed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.